Today's reading is Luke 3, verses 1 to 14. It can be found on page 946 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Traconius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the words in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our gracious God, we come into this place and this space um, with all kinds of different experiences this week. And um, perhaps a greater level of um, fragility or openness or awareness of... um, the frailty of humanity, given the news that we've experienced this week. God, we come from all kinds of different places. We look at the current events through different lenses, and we look at Christmas and the season of Christmas from different uh, worldviews. And in this time, we come from different places. And yet right now, we look to your words to speak to us. Would you please let it be that we walk away from this place with the sense that you have met us. You've met us in our frailty and our brokenness and that we we came to a point where we could admit that we're more of a mess than we care other people to know. We're more of a mess than we want other people sitting here to know and yet your story says you come to earth and enter into the brokenness and the frailty in the person and work of your son Jesus so that we might know 
that when you see us through him, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined possible. Transform our hearts now through that grace in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. God is actively pursuing you. God is actively pursuing you. You sit with that idea. God is actively pursuing you. And, um, you know, it might be that you doubt that message or you doubt that basic concept or you just feel really far away from it or the signals aren't getting through. Grabbing hold of that reality for our lives is a little bit like that um, miserable pre-dating phase of life. It isn't just miserable, that time where people have to figure out, should I, should I send a signal or will it be received too strong? Or if I send the signal, will that kind of ruin what we already have? Did they send a signal? If I let on that I think that there's a signal, will that ruin things? You know, what it, that's, I'm, glad, I'm very glad that I'm not in that place, and I'm, I'll pray for you if that's where you are, because that's not fun. Christmas, uh, the Christmas season says, hey, it's not like that with um, a God actively pursuing you. Christmas shouts at you, look at what he's done. Let your jaw hit the floor at what Christmas is all about. He's actively pursuing you. Look at what he's done to enter into our world, to become seen and known. That's what Christmas, this Christmas season from the scriptures, should be shouting out at you, and yet we still find ourselves kind of, well... I'm not feeling it or not getting it, or the message is, the signals are getting mixed and it's not getting through somehow. It's our receptivity in a sense, isn't it? Um, this time of year, often. And it's not that um, most of you, you know, you might have friends who are in this place, but most of you aren't actively shutting off the switch of receptivity. You know, I don't, I, I don't even want it to be true if God is pursuing me because this, that, the other reason, you know, I can't believe in a God who lets this kind of evil or brokenness happen or I don't, I, uh, or I've seen in the church, most church people just seem, don't they just seem ungracious and divisive? Doesn't that seem to be a natural outcropping of this thing? So I'm just going to shut off the switch. Most of us aren't in that kind of place. Most of us, it's more like when, um, when a little kid who's just learning how to speak gets this medical condition where there's uh, ear buildup in there that has, sometimes has to be surgically removed. And if it happens in the middle of speech development, there can be a plateau or even a regression in speech learning because the, the, it's just not getting in. And that's, that's more where we find ourselves with the messages. It's just kind of over time a buildup of stuff just kind of maybe getting in the way and we wonder why... Why does it seem kind of like a faint concept? God is actively pursuing you. John the Baptist is um, our gift today in helping us with this issue, the receptivity issue. John the Baptist, um, an interesting character, isn't he? Isn't he fascinating in how he approaches things? A little bit abrasive. Um, 
the people of Jesus' day and the people of John the Baptist's day, they had a song, basically. They had a song that they would sing, and I think I even know the tune of how it went. Okay, I'm kind of kidding, but this is the, this is the song, basically, that they would sing with their lives and with some of their beliefs, first century Jews. Yahweh knows that we're Abraham's children, that makes everything right. Right? We have that song. John the Baptist is the guy that comes along. He's no Santa, you know. He comes along and he says, what? That makes everything right. That doesn't make anything right. God could make these stones into children of Abraham. You know, so he's kind of this Grinch coming in and He's not the guy you want to get stuck in an elevator with or at a Christmas party in the corner. You know, he might call you a member of the brood of vipers, you know, which sounds kind of like a heavy metal band. Um, someone Google it. I bet, I bet it is. Brood of vipers. And so he, it ends up, if you read the story of John the Baptist, it does kind of, it comes off kind of abrasive and you, you kind of say, this is just confusing. This guy sounds judgmental and unsafe, maybe, and just, what's going on? with his message. It's scary. But it's really not that complicated. John the Baptist has a pretty simple message. He's, you know, he's, just, he's got a very basic role. It's easy to understand. He's got this role of preparation. He's got this role of Jesus' arrival is imminent, and his role is to work on the receptivity, to kind of clear things out and get people paying attention. He's, that's his role. And so the, in the Isaiah passage that is, that is spoken of ends with this um, the way that Luke includes it here to describe the role of John the Baptist is uh, verse 6, and all people, all people, not just um, Abraham's children, and that makes everything right, all people will see God's salvation. That's receptivity. All people will just see it. Their eyes will be open. All people. And his, his method for this, his uh, ministry is one of um, it's also very simple in how he sees this as happening. And it's this word, this tired old word, repentance. Repent. Repentance. Verse 3, verse 8, repentance is his ministry. Um, and, you know, so the word has uh, some buildup itself, the word repentance for us, and we're, we've lost its meaning. We've filtered out some of what it means. Repentance has to do very basically with turning a genuine kind of turning, looking for a new way, um, a, a true analysis of the situation that desires uh, redirection, repentance, a turning. And what's interesting about this, what's actually surprising about this is that um, I think it would have been surprising to um, Abraham's children of his day, it would have been surprising that he doesn't point to the temple. Repentance is not directed and connected and linked specifically to religiosity. That's just a good thing to know. Repentance, the receptivity approach of John the Baptist, how you get receptive to the message of Christmas, to the coming of Jesus, is not linked directly to more religiosity. He doesn't point people to go to the temple and take care of things. He's got this vague kind of new thing of baptism, and he's not even pouring the meaning into baptism. The other baptisms that kind of existed of his day, kind of, it was a newer thing, and it had its own meaning with respect to repentance. Not religiosity, and um, and this isn't new. This isn't new that John, you know, someone might say, well, the New Testament throws away more of the religiosity stuff that was in the Old Testament. In the book of Samuel starts with this amazing similar theme where 
If you read our story today, it says in verse 2, the word of God came to John. And that's like identical language to what was happening with Samuel when the boy Samuel uh, came to the temple and um, started as a, as a helper at the temple as a boy. That was, that's the language all in there. The word had arrived. It had not been around. The, word had, the people had not been receptive. And what, what is the first thing God does when the word of God starts to come again and is going to come through this new uh, prophet, Samuel? Um, he gets rid of the religiosity the, the corrupt religious priests. Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of Eli who were working and managing the temple, kind of the, the stuff that was going on for religiosity, and they were, taking, they were using their role to, um, to, to take advantage of the most vulnerable worshipers that were coming in. With their hearts in the right place, they'd come to serve. Young women would come to serve, and Hophni and Phinehas would um, sleep with them. And uh, Hophni and Phinehas, when people would come with their humble offerings and sacrifices, they would make sure that it was the system, the sacrificial system was working so that they would get the most financial advantage out of it. Interesting. They were religious. They had the rituals, but it was, there was a spiritual deadness that was a part of it. And um, Jesus, when he came and we started ministering, not, not baby Jesus, grown-up Jesus, um, Grown-up Jesus would say um, to the religiosity of his day, kind of the full-blown rituals but deadness inside, he said, that's like, your life is like a whitewashed tomb. What a powerful image that just captures, like a, there's death inside. Oh, it's clean, it looks good. Repentance isn't linked to religiosity. It's not the religious external work, there's an inner spiritual work that repentance involves. And this is John the Baptist's gift, gift to us. I think we really need it. I think that there's ways in which we're, we're very similar to his original audience. There's ways in which we need to hear what he's saying. It's a gift to us. I think if we hear what he's saying, we'll walk away thankful and knowing that we need what, he, what John the Baptist brings. Let me get specific. So I was talking to somebody once a long time ago, not someone from City Life Church, not someone who any of you would know, and this person was explaining to me why they were going to the church that they went to now and not the church that they used to go to. And this is basically what they said. This person said, I'm not going to settle in a church where I get the feeling that the preacher and the leaders think that their role is to point out behaviors that, we, that need to be a part of our lives. And what, you know, what they should do is, at the most, they should lay out the options and all go with what suits me best. That sounds, that sounds, <clears throat> um, that sounds really good to us. That sounds like common sense. That is kind of like the spiritual ethos, like the air we breathe, um, so much so that we might even not even see it for what it is. So let me give a kind of extreme uh, e example of, you know, I'll go with what suits me best. Just lay out the options. I'll go with what suits me best. Basically, in the time of Samuel when he came, the final um, full-blown place that I'll go with what suits me best, where that went was people who... Don't even see those who are being hurt by their self-absorption. 
And, and, and there's a spiritual naivete even that we a lot of times have to not even realize that I'll, ch- I'll go with what suits me best, that, that, can, that we have all of that in, in our hearts. And that we are, our hearts are, um, can be self-absorbed enough that we can end up in a place where we're not even seeing those who we would trample on and those who we would hurt the most and we wouldn't even know that, we wouldn't even realize it or see the hurt. Um, That's, I think, I think that's that's a a good place to look in terms of where do we need to hear the message of John the Baptist? Because what, what is shown to us in this passage and it's shown to us three times. So anytime in the Bible something shows up literarily three times, you know, in one little story. It shows up three times, you know, kind of your, your light bulbs go off. There's a literary cue here. Anybody catch what is the refrain that we hear three times? Anybody? Bible scholars? It's okay if no one... I don't even think that when I read it the first time as I was preparing for today, I don't think I caught it. So this is what they say. What should we do then? What should we do? So there's over here, there's some... Um, there's a... Uh, Give me the options and I'll go with what suits me best. And then there's over here, there's John the Baptist says repentance is what I'm asking for. And the people's response is, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? That's receptivity. That's, that's an abnormal spiritual place to come, come from. It's not intuitive. What should I do? It's receptivity. It's the very picture of receptivity that you would come and you'd say, you would say it's possible that I'm blind enough to the path I need to take, that I need help seeing it. What should I do? And that's repentance. That's, that's a place. You know if someone's saying that and they're really meaning it, that they're in a place of repentance. What should I do? The, um, uh, we used to have an antenna at our house in the attic before digital perfect signals that you know now they have the digital signals going through the air and they used to have the analog and um, so I would climb up this ladder uh, if there was like a storm or something and it was the electricity and the air was a little wonky and so we weren't getting a clear signal on survivor you know when everyone was watching survivor and who's gonna get voted off the island and um, and I would be up in the attic with these these rabbit ear type things um, completely really helpless to know whether I was having any effect, whether the receptivity was, was changing. And so we would be like on phones because you couldn't hear. And it would be, is that a little better? Was that better? Is it back to how it was at the beginning? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? That's repentance. That sort of admission of, I, I don't know. I maybe can't see all of what I need to see. What should I do? Here's an interesting litmus test for your receptivity. Are you pursuing righteousness head on? Is your sense of uh, growing closer to God or, or getting yourself right in some way in this world, is it, is, are you pursuing that? Is that an, you have a head-on philosophy. I just get, I just do it. Just do it. Just do the thing. You know, just vote more for legislation that helps the poor. Just, just decrease my carbon footprint. Just give a little more uh, to the person that I always see, that I always pass by, who's homeless. 
just do it. Just be less judgmental to people in my family or at work. Just do it. It's, it's, it's righteousness pursued head on. Just, just do it. There's, that's, I listed a whole bunch of things that are more in the standard irreligious category of uh, righteousness. And there's the religious people, the church people like myself have it too. We, this is what ministers, our path we usually take for head on righteousness is do more, uh, do more church stuff, read more Bible stuff, uh, read more Christian books, know more, volunteer more, go to church more. Just, just do it. Head-on righteousness. Is that, is that your way of approaching God? You know, Just do it. That makes everything right if you just do those things. Well, one of the things you find out, whether you do it in the irreligious way or the religious way, is you find out, what do you know, but um, all, you still feel this distance from God, even when you're just doing it and you're doing great and you're accomplishing and achieving things that you've laid out for yourself to just do. Even when you do that, even when you have your best day or your best week or your best accomplishments rec- recognized by everyone in your life, within, sometimes within hours or within a day, the balloon deflates and you realize there's the distance again. There's the loneliness again. There's the, it feels like I built my life on the... Uh, on beach sand. And when the tide came in, there it goes. It's uh, Head-on righteousness is basically what I'm trying to say is a sort of sterile righteousness. It's spiritually sterile. And what um, this is what the Advent devotional I'm reading by Richard Rohr this week, he said this, we tend to manage life more than just live it. We are all overstimulated and drowning in options. We are trained to be managers to organize life to make things happen. That is what built our culture. It's not all bad, but if you transfer that to the spiritual life, is what he says, it is pure heresy. It is wrong. It doesn't work. It is not gospel. We might be economically rich, but not spiritually fertile. John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And a side effect of head-on righteousness, of just-do-it righteousness, is that you necessarily are ungracious and divisive with others. You don't think of yourself that way. You don't think at least of that, but naturally, if you have a very ungracious approach that you believe is how you get right or how you get ahead, then you necessarily are ungracious to others, you look at someone else, and in the end of the day, you can't help but say in your heart of hearts, even if you don't say it out loud, why don't they just do it like I have, or like I did? Head on righteousness. It actually can be a very unreceptive place to be. It can actually be spiritually sterile. And so we need, what John is talking about, is fruitful repentance. God is actively pursuing you. God is actively pursuing you. And you're receptive to it because of repentance. Because you take an honest path every day to things instead of sort of a dis... It's really dishonest in a sense to think I can climb my way to God. I can achieve my way to wholeness. It's a more honest path of saying, I'm okay being picked up. I'm okay that God picks me up. So imagine if you feel in the midst of the Christmas season, you think, why is the message of Jesus? Why is it so far? Why am I not connecting? 
at the same time you have a sense of in your life, you, you don't, and you may see it with others, nobody picks me up. I, I got it. I, I got things managed. Nobody picks me up. I don't need it. In your relationship with God, God, I, I'm okay. God doesn't pick me up. When you're open to being picked up over and over, people who are in this kind of, who have repentance going on, and they're okay being scooped up and picked up by God, they are getting it. Necessarily because when you're scooped up by God, and God loves to pick you up graciously. And when you are, you're connecting with the signals, strong signals of grace and love, the warmth of God's grace, when you're willing to be picked up and scooped up. Another way of talking about being willing to over and over be picked up by God is the word John the Baptist used and his father, Zechariah, from last week we talked about, used the word, the phrase, forgiveness of sins. That's what this time is all about, Jesus coming, getting picked up over and over again, the forgiveness of sins. And necessarily, what that, uh, just in closing, what that means for you, if you're someone who's repentant and willing to get picked up over and over again, you end up being necessarily gracious and non-divisive towards the world around you. Why? Because your basic philosophy is, I need to get picked up. And so when you look at someone else, you, don't, you're not, you, you automatically kind of have to apply the same philosophy that you're, that's at the center of your life. Well, I need to get picked up, so... I guess, I guess I can see that there's not that much difference between me and that person. And that difference can span belief systems and ethnic backgrounds. And uh, so it, it's actually the Christian message of repentance and of being willing to be picked up and having the forgiveness of sins at the center of your life that makes you more unifying and more gracious to the world around you. And of course, all of it, what this does, if you tap into this receptivity that John is talking about, leads you to, to see. Verse 6, and all people, all of you, will see God's salvation. Let me close in prayer. Our God, in uh, the Christmas holiday season, we are um, addicted to managing managing our time, managing the, our money, managing the holidays. We are all about conquering the season, learning from mistakes we made last year, uh, doing it better. May we not approach you in that same way. May we not think that we manage you. May we not think that we conquer our spiritual problems on our own. May we just simply receive May we just simply receive the gift that you bring when you visit our planet. You take our place. You join us in our hurt and our wounds. And you wait for receptive hearts to be able to see that clearly. Help us to be receptive. In Christ's name, amen.